today's episode, we are chatting with Linda Bevilacqua, president of the Core Knowledge Foundation. Linda shares with us a behind-the-scenes look at the creation of the CKLA Middle School program, including the new student text being created for the series. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our latest episode of the Building Knowledge Podcast. Today, I have with us a very special guest. Her name is Linda Bevilacqua, and she is the president of the Core Knowledge Foundation. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the new CKLA middle school materials. But before we start, Linda, can you give our listeners a little bit of of information on your background and how you came to the foundation? Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. I'll start with how I came to the foundation, because that's a funny story. Um, There was an ad, I think at the time, yeah, I was. At the time, I was living in, um, not in Charlottesville, I was living um, elsewhere in Virginia. Um, There was an ad in uh, the Richmond newspaper for education writers. And at the time, I had been working for um, an association that was called the Learning Disabilities Council and had done, um, uh, had written a book for parents for them. Um, Mostly it was just doing meetings with parents and answering questions. But anyway, so I decided, well, hey, I've written one book. I, you know, I'm going to answer this ad. And I did respond to it. I sent in my resume. I did all the things I tell you never to do, as in left everything on there, whether I thought it had anything to do with being an education writer or not. And the next thing I knew, Kristen, Don Hirsch called me um, on my home phone. He starts talking to me as, and again, anybody that knows Don knows this feeling. You always have the feeling he's already started the conversation before you got on the phone with him. And you're kind of in the middle. You don't know what he's asking. And it was kind of that way. He didn't say who he was. And so he's talking to me, asking all these questions. And I'm like, excuse me, is this someone from the Core Knowledge Foundation? And he chuckled and, you know, said, oh, yes, yes. Um, And tell me a little bit about yourself. And what caught his attention was that I included on my resume that I was fluent in French and uh, nothing else, the fluent in French. Uh, Oh, and then I also had early childhood background. Um, And he asked me to come for an interview. He interviewed me at his house. Um, It was a very long, interesting interview in the middle of which he got, it was at point in time he had back problems in the middle of the interview he got up and lay down on the floor flat on his back and just continued to talk to me and I'm like well you know I don't know what's going on here but it looks like we're still doing the interview um and um by the end he said to me he was really interested in the fact that I was fluent in French because He had always wanted to do an early childhood, a preschool program. And when he had traveled to the many places he traveled, he had visited the Ecole Matinelle in France. And that was many, many years ago when 
um, France far before anything, you know, this country still doesn't have much in the way of free preschool. Um, they had free preschool for all kids three and up. And he said, you know, I want um, to develop a program based on the Ecole Maternelle. Would you be able to travel um, to France and stay there for, you know, it wouldn't just be like, you know, go and come back two days later. It'd be an extended period of time because I want you to visit schools. (laughs) I was like, well, I guess somebody would have to do it. And um, he literally offered me the job. I don't think we didn't talk salary. He just said he said to me as I was going out the door, he said, well, you're hired. I want you to develop a preschool program. You have an opportunity to change the future of children in this country um, forever. And I'm like, like, seriously? And he gave me a ton of French books that he had on French education written in French and just said, here you go. Put together a, a proposal for me. Um, so that's how I ended up getting hired. I mean, we eventually worked out salary and things of that sort, but, um, I did have the wonderful opportunity because they had philanthropic funding for developing pre-K. Um, and I did travel often to France, um, to visit, uh, preschools over there and learned a lot, learned a lot. It was before he kept saying to me, you have to go before they become influenced by the American education model, because at that time they had, it was, you know, what we would call a state curriculum. It was a country curriculum laid out um, for preschoolers. So that's how I started. My background, coming to school, uh, I went to the University of Virginia um, for my undergrad and grad. Uh, My claim to fame, if you will, is that I got into UVA, into the college, not the ed school, um, the first year they went co-ed. So that was an interesting um, experience as well. You know, there were probably, I don't remember how many, but, you know, if there were 100 females on campus, that was a lot. Um, Don actually was teaching at UVA at the time, um, English literature. And I've often said to myself, it's a good thing I never um, had him for an English class or he probably never would have hired me. Um So that's how things started out. Um, I taught actually for a very short time. I taught for maybe two or three years. Um, Kids, again, with learning disabilities, um, K through 12, essentially. Um, And that was, again, back at the very beginning when these kids were first coming to public schools. So I was basically an advocate for those kids. You know, they, these are the kids. I had kids, even though I say K through 12, it's not really true. I really worked with kids K through five, but many of the kids that I worked with were teenagers because they had been left back so many times um, that uh, because they couldn't read. And my classroom was literally the custodian's closet. Um, it was a little hole in the wall, um, but it became the safe place for these kids. Um, and guess what? I did teach them to read. I taught them to read by phonics, which interestingly enough, um, 
I had been taught to read apparently when I was very little by my mother using phonics. My mother was not a teacher. So how she knew to do this, I don't know, but um, she did. And um, so um, I got to a certain point that I realized uh, I was actually getting frustrated. It was great working with the kids, but this was a large school system outside of Richmond. And there were lots of policies that I thought were did not make any sense that were very discouraging for these kids. And as, as an example, because they were below grade level and they were each at least two years below grade level and in many instances, many more, I had to give them a failing grade in reading every report card because they were below level, regardless of the progress that they were making. And so at one point, I wrote a letter to uh, the superintendent of the district, basically citing all kinds of research about why this was, you know, so um, discouraging for these kids. And I came up with all kinds of suggestions of things, you know, we could do um, one grade that would show their effort, another grade if it was necessary to show that they were below grade level. Okay, then put the failing grade um, for that. And the superintendent, um, I'm sure he didn't realize he insulted me, but he contacted my principal and wanted to know who I was because he was sure that I'd had um, an education professor write the letter for me. Can you believe that? I'm like, I'm a teacher. And you're basically saying you don't think a teacher is capable of writing that kind of letter and citing research um, about how things should go. So the long and short of it was um, not long after that, the district uh, decided that they needed uh, and wanted a special education coordinator for the entire district. And again, it was large. We probably had like 30 elementary schools. Um, And uh, so I got hired to do that job. And um, that then did become K through 12. I was, you know, going to visit classrooms um, at all grade levels. I was training teachers. It was like my idea of an ideal job because I was getting to be in the classroom, um, but at the same time, making a difference in training teachers and so forth. Um, So that's the early background. And um, as I say, then, you know, I worked for this other group, um, the Learning Disabilities Council, um, applied for that ad, and then, you know, Don hired me, and away we went. I will tell you um, a funny uh, story. I, I told you, Don literally just said, well, go make up the preschool program, um, and gave me those books. And not long after that, John Holdren, who was working at the foundation at that point in time, reached out to me. Um, one of the things he did, and he was, even though he wasn't, you know, Don didn't have titles for anybody. Everybody just worked there and didn't. In fact, Don said to me, make up whatever title you want for yourself. Um, John, and I knew what he was doing, but John was kind of in charge and he contacted me and he said, Linda, um, I understand Don Hirsch has hired you. Um, I have a passage 
um, that I need translated into French. Um, would you be willing to do that? We'll pay you, of course, um, because that's not really part of what Don hired you for. And um, I realized right away he wanted to see if I actually was fluent in French. So good for him. Um, he was somebody with whom I worked very closely um, at the foundation. And when I first started out, I must have said something to him like, well, you know, I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Don just told me, you know, invent this preschool program based on the French preschool system. Um, you have a chance to change lives. And John Holdren looked at me and just laughed, Kristen. He said, Linda, if you were looking for a job where somebody was going to tell you what to do every step of the way, then you took the wrong job because he said, you're going to have to invent this for yourself. You're going to have to come out. You know, there's no job description. There's no nothing. Just do it. Um, and he was enormously helpful because he's such as you know, a fantastic writer. I used to give him everything I wrote before I would give it to Don. <laughs> John would kind of uh, fix it up and make it sound 10 times better. Um, and on we went. So that's kind of how it, it started. So pivoting now, you had all that experience with preschool and you've also uh, worked very closely with Rosie McCormick on uh, the history and geography program. And now you've changed your focus now to our upper grades to middle school. So why did the foundation after all of these years finally decide to do an ELA program for grades six through eight? I think that that was a foregone conclusion as far as Don Hirsch was concerned from back when he hired me for preschool, honestly. Um, and uh, you know, the point at which we developed the, and actually it was pre-K through five materials was through Engage New York. And then, as you know, Kristen, then we established the partnership with Amplify. And again, um, even though Amplify was doing their own thing, you know, Amplify, as you also know, um, because we were busy doing other things like the history and what have you, um, went ahead and developed their own materials for middle school. We felt strongly that we could do it in such a way that built upon what we'd done previously, which essentially was building off of the core knowledge sequence. Um, and Amplify never really understood that these were not just random topics that, you know, had been picked out of the air that, oh, we think that, you know, third graders will like um, reading about this, that they were very intentionally picked based on um, the core knowledge sequence. So uh, it was always more at the time, I, I think the intent was there, but it was a question, you know, when I was first hired by the foundation, we were totally dependent on philanthropic funding uh, and having to go out and get grants for whatever it was that we wanted to do. And, you know, that, I mean, just even writing grant proposals took a heck of a long time. And, um, you know, we had the 
experience with Engage New York. Good, that was good, and did that. Um, and finally had gotten to a point where, okay, now where we are now, which is that we can fund this on our own, you know, that we have knock on every piece of wood, enough resources to build out these materials the way that we think they should be built out. So if anybody has already looked at the grade six materials and soon we're going to have grade seven up online for people to review as well, and then grade eight, these texts are different from what they would see in the 2010 sequence. If they've seen the draft of the 2022 sequence, they some of them may be familiar uh, with these. But why did you choose more contemporary works to put in middle school, much more than what you'll see in the lower grades? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, I'll preface my answer by saying, um, I did choose nonetheless from topics for those grade levels based on um, the core knowledge sequence, the 2010, particularly you see it uh, more, for example, in sixth grade um, and um, use that same premise. But it was clear to me in the same way that we have you know, the tried and true centuries old classics, whether it's Shakespearean plays or whatever the classic titles are that were listed in the core knowledge sequence, that the argument that I made, and I made this to both the board chairman and to Don Hirsch was, well, you know, it's not as if all of a sudden people stopped writing at the beginning of the 20th century. There are contemporary books that um, are essentially modern classics. And I remember uh, both Don and John saying, well, according to who? And I said, um, well, you know, there are awards like the Newbery Awards and so forth, Caldecott. Um, but I said, I also think I'm a pretty good judge. I love to read. I read voraciously. And I think I'm a pretty good judge of um, what um, would be of interest, what would be challenging. And also, uh, you know, again, what fits with the there are underlying themes, even when you start looking at the earlier grades um, that have to do with things like identity. You know, who am I? How did I become that way? Which certainly become even more and more important. You know, what are my values as you enter middle school? So um, those underlying themes pulled me towards certain works. I'll also say, I also love language and meaning the written word. And um, there are some writers whose writing is so exquisite that it just takes your breath away. Um, you know, you read a sentence and I think to myself, wow, <laughs> I wish I could write like that. I remember thinking that with Jacqueline Woodson's um, writing um, for adult writers. And I've shared this with um, Rosie. I don't think she's still uh, followed up on this. I told her Pat Conroy 
um, is somebody, um, he was a Southern writer down like your neck of the woods or, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina. In fact, he taught at some school off the coast of Georgia or something like that and wrote a book that was amazing. Anyway, I digress that I love just the language that some writers are able to crack the beauty of the language. Um, so. So for grade six, since that's the one that we're focusing on today, what was your favorite unit when it was all finished, you know, all that blood, sweat and tears that you all have put into that, that you looked at and you said, oh my gosh, this one is my favorite unit. Okay. That's really hard. Um, You know, I will tell you, first of all, I only pick books and that includes the classics from the Cornellish sequence that are fantastic books. Um, And at any given point in time, whatever unit I'm working on, I absolutely fall in love with it because again, I'm reading the books again. And so I have to say for grade six, there are two. Um, And one is a classic. Um, That would be the Iliad and the Odyssey and other Greek myths. I always loved myths and Greek and Roman history always fascinated me. So I love that book. Um, And they were books that I hadn't read since good grief. You know, I was in high school or college. So coming back to them again was wonderful. Um, The other book in sixth grade that I absolutely love is 90 Miles from Havana. Um, That one, you know, just got me immediately. Um, And and that's kind of what a book has to do. Like I... Um, If I'm not into the book in the first couple of chapters, I I have been known to put a book down and say, nope, not going to waste my time reading that. So um, those are among my favorites. Yep, for sure. And I'll share with the listeners that during our pilot, the 90 Miles to Havana was by far all of the sixth grade students' favorite. It's very, it's very detailed and it's a long text it's not easy to read but the themes and the story itself and the characters grab those students right away and they could not wait to find out what happened yeah um exactly and we've got books like that you know in seventh grade um the books that uh we're working are the units that we're working on now again combination of what I would call the core classics, the traditional classic literature, um, as well as newer books. Um, The one that I would probably pick out in seventh grade um, as one of the contemporary, there are several contemporary ones as there are in sixth grade. Uh, But the one that just grabbed me in that same kind of way is a book called um, Code Talker by Joseph Bruach that's about, it's fictional, but it's based on, it's a historical fiction. And it's based on the experience of um, the Navajo soldiers during the World War um, who were used basically to create a code so that the Nazis could not 
um, decipher the code because it apparently uh, Navajo is a very difficult language to learn. And um, it ended up being something that was not able to be deciphered. And so that particular book and that recounting, there's a lot of irony in it because the book starts with when uh, the individual, the primary character is young, is basically being um, sent away from his family, taking off the reservation and sent away to a residential school to learn English. Um, and he's told, as were all the other kids from uh, the reservation, that they're not permitted to speak their native languages, that the whole point is to assimilate and that they must learn English. And then you flash forward to this individual as an adult, and he's uh, he has joined the military. And guess what? Now this skill that he'd been told to forget is one that the United States government says this this would be of value to us. Um, so yeah, I love that book. Oh, that sounds so cool. I can't wait to read it now. Um, so for the for teachers who are listening, how are these units for grades six, seven, and eight? similar to what they would see in K-5? And then also, how are they different? Okay, Um, that's a good question. Um, Well, again, you know, for starters, I'll say they start from the core knowledge sequence um, and from topics that come from the sequence. Um, In the early grades, we um, aligned the different units to um, what were brand new at that point in time, many years ago, the Common Core State Standards. And um, we chose to do the same thing uh, for these middle school editions. Um, You know, someone might make the argument and say, well, nobody's using the Common Core State Standards at this point. No, they're not, but a lot of states Um, took those standards and basically reworked them in many instances, keeping exactly what was in there and then adding a few uh, individual touches for their particular state. And those are the state standards um, in different states. And so I felt like that would be a good framework again of making sure that not only were we picking interesting books to read and addressing uh, development of vocabulary and comprehension, but as I oftentimes explain um, to um, the board chair, um, that we're also doing more than that in English language arts. We're doing, we're having to teach kids how to write. We're teaching kids grammar, um, punctuation and so forth. So there's a lot more than just saying, well, let's pick out some good books um, to read. Um, And so um, that's still very much the case. You know, we're guided by those standards. Um, By the same token, I guess one of the things I would cite as being um, a little, well, different is certainly we made an intentional effort in the lower grades to provide supports 
for teachers if students struggle. That comes from my special ed background of saying, you know, I know that there are always lots of kids who still don't, you know, the teacher does the lesson. She may have taught it, but they didn't learn it. So how are we going to provide supports for those kids? And of course, we also provided, um, as someone suggested at one point, you know, well, provide challenges too for the kids who go above and beyond. Um, in uh, the sick, the middle school materials, I would say we still do have supports, but there are fewer supports. Again, the intent is, okay, by the time kids are in middle school, they should be reading independently. You know, we're no longer trying to teach kids how to read, teaching them with phonics. Um, we are really moving well beyond that. And it, it's, again, that saying that was um, read to learn. Um, and so fewer supports um, than in the earlier grades. Um, reading longer and longer pieces of text during um, a particular instructional period um, and reading it uh, more independently on your own. I mean, we, of course, we still want, and this is part of the middle school program, there are lots of prompts for teachers in terms of, okay, after kids read these pages, um, bring the class back together and ask these questions so you can make an assessment of whether they really understood um, different parts of the book because there's the literal comprehension, uh, which hopefully everybody gets, um, but there's also the more nuanced levels of understanding, inferential and otherwise, that um, unless you ask the questions, you know, I, I often found with teachers, teachers figured when I was supervising um, elementary school teachers, they figured if they understood the book, so did the kids. I was like, no, it doesn't really work that way. You know, you have to go deeper to make sure that they do. And you may have to ask a whole little series of step-by-step -step questions to bring them up to the point of, oh, now they're able to tell you what the main idea of the book was about or summarize the book or what have you. Um, so, you know, that's definitely different in the middle school grades, reading longer periods of time, longer texts. Um, and I would say there's also an emphasis on writing um, and more explicitly in the same way, writing, not just to learn the grammar or being able to write a, a beautiful sentence or even a beautiful paragraph, but writing in order to develop a thesis, writing to do the, the unit I'm reading right now, um, reviewing for grade seven, kids are doing a research essay. Um, and actually it, uh, it's a multimedia um, research essay. So this has been, it's fun for me um, to be going through this and seeing all the different possibilities that kids will have in terms of doing this. So I think those are some of the primary differences that come to my mind. So you told us just a little bit about Code Talker. Can you um, give us any other previews to grades seven and eight? And specifically, what text 
teachers might be seeing? Absolutely. Grade seven, I can tell you every single one, um, because that's where at the point, uh, let's see, there are eight units in a grade level. The unit that I'm reviewing and finalizing right now is unit six. So the grade seven uh, materials will be finished and posted online um, on the Core Knowledge Foundation website by the beginning of September, she says, not on every piece of wood. Um, our first unit was actually posted earlier this week. And it's called, it's a, again, another book that's not a Core Knowledge publication. It's called Hello Universe. Um, and it is a book in which um, middle school age students uh, are confronted with a uh, crisis, something that happens to a student and how they're going to address that. I'll leave it at that. But again, going back to what establishes who a person is, your identity, what are your values, what's important to you. Um, it includes addressing things like there are people in the book who um, are folks that have um, some challenges, what some might call disabilities and so forth. Uh, so uh, I think there are a lot of interesting uh, subjects to talk about there. Um, then we shift from that being the first unit to the next several are the tried and true classics. We have The Tempest by Shakespeare, um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the time machine, um, all of these, the Tempest, the Tempest is done. That was done um, a while ago. Um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is also done. And so is the time. I say done. I mean, I'm done reading, reviewing and, and so forth. Um, both the student books, because those are ones where we're um, commissioning people to write the core knowledge adapted version appropriate to the grade level. Um, and um, those teacher guides are pretty far along. So, you know, we're going to be seeing the Tempest um, posted soon on the core knowledge website, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, probably um, by early summer. Um, same thing with the time machine. The next unit is. Um, uh, short stories and poetry that is based on the core knowledge um, realms of poetry. Um, so those, again, those are poems that are taken directly from um, the core knowledge sequence. But in this particular case, I mean, it's volume two, Realms of Gold. We uh, adapted um, and added titles uh, of poems and essays to that volume before we sent it off to print so that it's more diverse than, and has contemporary selections than what were in the old volumes. Um, unit six is um, another one that uh, is exciting. Um, it's called The Genius of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, and it was written by Dr. Andrea Oliver, who's a professor at um, 
University in Florida. Um, she is an, actually she's an expert. She, she's recognized among peers, college professors, and so forth as an expert in the area of the Harlem Renaissance. So that particular book has it's basically excerpts that she chose um, from writers of the Harlem Renaissance, and then also each excerpt she wrote a brief introduction to to provide context, um, which I think um, students very much and teachers will be interested in. It goes beyond I when we were first working together, I said to her, yeah, obviously this is a book, so there are going to be text selections, but I also want us to address the music and the art of the Harlem Renaissance as well. Um, Really, all of these are like favorite books. See, even as I come to each one, I'm like, oh, here's another good one. Um, I found a book, you know, at on the in the sequence listed for many, many years at seventh grade was the diary of Anne Frank. Um, I found a very inexpensive paperback that's called Anne Frank's Tales from the Secret Annex. And it reproduces some of her diary entries, but it includes then stories that she wrote that previously were not published. Um, As I recall, they were put together in this book by other members of her family, meaning many generations down the line, and released for publication. Um, So um, I think that one is another one that's really interesting. And again, you know, people know Anne Frank because of the diary, but this takes it, you know, even a step further. Um, And then Code Talker is the last unit in um, seventh grade. So um, you see, you know, which I try to do, I try to have titles that somehow could go together. So if kids have already read one book, you know, when they're reading Code Talker, they can go back and talk about, oh, I remember when we were reading, you know, Secret Tales from the Annex by Anne Frank that they talked about whatever. So that's grade seven. Um, Grade eight is still um, up in the air and probably will be every time I I think I've got a a definite list. Um, You know, I see something else or um, Don or the board chairman sees something else and says, well, what about this? But um, it's pretty well said, I think, at this point. Um, The first book is... um, a series of short stories about young Latinos, and it's called In Progress. It's a relatively new book. I, and while I say relatively new, you know, meaning probably published in 2020 or something like that when I first found it. Um, and in the same way, what I tried to do with all the first units for each grade level was to pick something that... Um, the excerpts or the text that kids would be reading was relatively short. Uh, So a short story as opposed to, oh, you have to read this whole novel before any of this starts to make sense. And that fits that um, same model. Then after that is Frankenstein, 
um, uh, followed by the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, which has been a core classic for many, many years. Um, Originally, my recollection is that that book was recommended for use in the lower, well, upper elementary grades, but I want to say it was like maybe fourth or fifth grade. And the um, version that we had, that foundation had its own uh, core classic. Um, we were told over and over again by folks that it was much too difficult for kids in those lower grades to understand. They didn't have the background knowledge and uh, just the language was too much of a challenge. So that's now in eighth grade. We're going to have a part two to um, the Harlem Renaissance. It actually uh, pick up year-wise where I think I'm trying to think. I think the seventh grade Harlem Renaissance goes up to 1940. And then the second volume will pick up from there. Um, We will have, uh, again, this is um, a sequel, if you will, um, to the Blessings of Liberty, which is in um, sixth grade. This one is called A More Perfect Union, Voices for Equality and Justice. Again, it's actual primary source text. Uh, pulled from uh, the 20th century. Um, One that um, we've just uh, been able to find someone to actually write the adaptation of is called The Squatter and the Don. Um, It's the first, I have to say this right, the first novel written by a Hispanic writer that was printed in the United States. Um, And so that one is uh, also, we'll be creating our own version, if you will, of that. Um, Then the most recent one that we've decided on has to do with with the drama category. Um, and we, you know, we went back and forth. I honestly was still in my mind saying, Hey, why not? Let's go with Shakespeare. We already have 12th night written. That's originally what was in the sequence. Um, there were some at the foundation that felt like, you know, people are starting to say enough of Shakespeare, you know, kids have had it for several years in core knowledge at different grade levels. They don't need to do Shakespeare again. We're still going to, Twelfth Night is still going to be a book that's sold by the foundation, but what we're going to use as part of CKLA is The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. Um, In talking with a number of folks uh, at the foundation staff, um, the thought was, you know, kids will like this. It will um, certainly be a shift away from all the serious kinds of topics that are being dealt with in these other books. And then the final unit in grade eight will again be a poetry um, unit using realms of gold. So yeah, it is laid out. I don't know why I said it's not set because I always feel like, well, maybe I'll find another new book that's even better than something. But um, that's what it looks like right now. 
Well, I know it's been really exciting for us at the foundation, adding some of these new core classics and things like the genius of the Harlem Renaissance. I cannot wait to get my hands on that one for sure. Um, And I'm sure that people that are listening are going to be equally as excited and anxious. Now, grade seven, you said will be up online this year, but it will not be available. Actually, right now the plans are Ha ha, she says. Um, as I said, everything should be finished, should be up in lo- online by September. We then need to, we are planning to print it, but we'll have to, you know, work with the printer um, later this summer when we have um, a more accurate page count for all these books and see when they're going to print it, be able to print it and because of all, you know, the problems that there have been with um, lack of paper and holdups in terms of um, what printers could do. They also apparently had shortage of personnel and so forth. So we are going to sell it. Now, whether it actually rolls out quick enough to be sold within 2022, meaning before December 2022, I don't know, but it will be out in print, um, if not then, in the very early part of 2023. And then what about grade eight? Uh, Lordy, Lordy, you're making me tired. (laughs) Uh, Grade eight, the game plan will be, let's see, we'll start grade eight in September of this year. And It will roll out in a similar way to um, grade seven, meaning, you know, we'll be posting the units, they'll be up online, but it'll probably be summertime of what would that be, 2023, um, before we're able to actually, you know, send stuff to the printer. I don't know. It, you know, what it comes down to, Kristen, is that um, bluntly, it's less expensive to print, the more things we send at one time. Um, Because some of your listeners might be saying, well, why don't you send it unit by unit? You know, send it as you're finishing it, which would be fine with me. But the printers charge much, much more to do that. Um, So we try to accumulate a certain number of units to send um, at, at a time. Well, I'm sure everybody's going to be waiting, maybe not so patiently, <laughs> for, all, for all of these new materials that uh, are coming out from the foundation. But thank you so much, Linda, for, we know you're busy, but taking the time to talk to us a little bit more about CKLA Middle School. And hopefully when grades seven and eight come out, we'll have you back to talk some more about it. Absolutely. Sounds like fun. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kristen.